Welcome, everybody. It's time for another edition of Sales Pipeline Radio. So grab your board. We're going to catch a wave, the latest and greatest waves in the whole world of Sales Pipeline with the man riding the top crest himself, Mr. Matt Hines. How are we doing, Paul? Okay. I was running out of uh, space there. I ran out of music. <laughs> the music ended. The music's over. It's time to get started. That's it. Oh, my goodness. Well, uh, so for my first question, first of all, thank you, everyone, for joining us for another episode of Sales Pipeline Radio. Uh, thank you, everyone, for uh, for uh, putting up last week with the marketing cranks. Paul, how did the marketing cranks do? They were a little on, cranky, uh, but overall, I thought they were pretty interesting here. Yeah. You know, the uh, so we have it's, it's funny, like we the, the, we have a separate podcast here uh, at Heinz uh, Marketing called the Marketing Cranks, and uh, they don't record quite as frequently. We do this every week. They do it a little less frequently. But, it, you know, that I initially wanted to call it the marketing curmudgeons. They decided that was too long so we went with the marketing cranks and <laughs> there are two of our vice presidents that are super smart they've been doing b2b marketing longer than i have but seriously they are curmudgeon like they just they get into conversations they start spinning each other up in the office and the idea is literally just said we, we got to just press record on this this is just this is gold <laughs> it was it was pretty fascinating the only thing is they didn't want to stop i had to yeah, I, I had to practically cut them off and pull the plug here that's why for them, I think the radio formats are tough because you know yes. the whole commercial break and someone else wants to do their show thing is a little difficult. They just they just go and exactly. just keep talking, um, and they get cranky. Ironically, if you try to cut them off. But anyway, uh, thank you to Brian and and Robert from the Marketing Cranks podcast for joining last week while I was out. But excited to be back here, Sales Pipeline Radio. We are here every week at two thirty Eastern, eleven thirty Pacific, sharing uh, news updates and interviews uh, from the world of B two B sales development, marketing, and sales. Very excited today to have featured with us Peter Thomas. Peter Thomas is the CEO of Veritech, and not only am I excited to have him on, we should have booked him as a guest long ago to talk about channel marketing. Peter literally agreed to do this about 40 minutes ago. I'm not kidding. Like we had a guest on today. We were going to talk about conversational presentations and some great new research on, in sales presentation uh, efficacy. We're going to get to that later, but unfortunately our guest has the flu and did not want to cough and sneeze her way through an interview. So uh, Peter uh, uh, thankfully graciously agreed to join us today and I, I couldn't be happier. Peter, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, Matt. And hey, I'm uh, I'm I'm always happy to pinch hit when I have the opportunity. Like I said, if you have a a much more illustrious guest than me, cancel at a last minute. You know, always feel free to give me a call. I'm happy to join your show. <laughs> All right. So, Pete, Pete, so what I'm going to count on now is that Peter is going li- to at, le- at least be listening to every episode of Sales Pipe Radio, Radio Live. It'll be Peter and my mom. I've already subscribed. Live I've already subscribed every week. It's, it'll be awesome. But Peter, I, I'm, I'm actually really excited. Like we did spend a few minutes talking about channel marketing and I've known you for a long time. And I mean, it's, it's amazing to me how many companies are overlooking and under investing in uh, channel marketing. So talk a little bit about this opportunity. Like what you, so first of all, like, you know, how are you defining channel marketing? How are companies thinking about this and why is it such an under leveraged channel, uh, for lack of a description, for a lot of B2B companies. A lot of people call it a lot of different things. Sometimes they might call it affiliate marketing, uh, indirect marketing, local marketing. I mean, it's called a number of things. So, I mean, I think that's, that's one of the that's one of the issues with the space in general is that it's a little undefined and undiscovered. Let's contrast that with engineering or teaching. If, if you're a teacher, we all pretty much agree on what that means, but nobody really agrees on what channel marketing is. So, you know, for the purposes of this discussion and the ones that I have with my clients, we essentially define it as, uh, in, you know, anytime you have a company that is, 
essentially selling your products outside of your organization. So you can think of a channel as a CDW. You can think of Staples as a channel. They're, they're a reseller partner, essentially, of a number of different products. And so opposed to a direct marketing organization where you'd have you know sales and marketing inside of the same building, um, you know, a channel is when you're relying on other companies to bring your product to market. And a lot of times they're going to sell services that are complementary to that on top of it. Well, first of all, you know, 80% of all the products in the whole entire world are sold through an indirect channel, so which is a staggering amount of products. But think about it. Every time you go to a grocery store, you're essentially buying from a channel marketer. Uh, you can't buy something directly from Nestle or Nabisco. I mean, they're, they're going to sell it through your local retailer. So you know, this, is, this is the way the world was set up to distribute products, and yet the the problem is, is that this is, this is typically an under-resourced segment of most organizations. They don't, even though they get a significant amount of their revenue from it, they don't apply a significant amount of resources to activate it. Talking today on Sales Pipeline Radio with Peter Thomas, the CEO of Veritech. Uh, Veritech's a great provider of knowledge, insight, and tools around channel marketing. And we're going to get into the uh, channel engagement framework that you have, Peter, here uh, probably after the break. But when I hear you say that 80% of, of goods and services are sold through an indirect channel, my immediate thought is like, holy cow, like most of the companies we talk to that are in B2B are selling mostly direct. Uh, there, you know, Some companies sell purely through channels. Some people have a channel uh, side to their business. But in a lot of cases if they have channel it might be in name alone and they've got sort of token people working on that so it seems like from what you said it seems like you know in general that is an under leveraged opportunity talk about what you're seeing in the market especially in b2b around that i, I agree with that it is under leveraged and the reason why is I, I think because it's difficult to measure or in the past i guess it was really difficult to measure the output of that. So if you start with a, a direct sales organization, if I, if I hire a salesperson and I, I pay him a thousand dollars a month to sell, uh, I can, I can pretty much decide very quickly whether or not that's, I'm getting a good value for my money because he has a number and he has to hit it. And if he doesn't hit it, then, you know, I find somebody that, that can hit it. It's easy. We're all in the same organization and we're all using the same set of tools and we're all using the same talk track. And so we could kind of figure that out and get, get good alignment. When you go to an indirect model where the thought leadership and the product design is done at one company, that would be the supplier, and then the, sale exec, the sales execution is done at another company, that would be the channel partner, it becomes much more difficult to get alignment. You have two businesses now, two different frameworks, two different selling styles. And so I'm not sure if I put a thousand dollars worth of something in the channel, you know, what did that turn out to? Did that turn into 10,000 or was that just a thousand that I didn't get back? And when you're talking about these big B2B brands, I mean, the, we're not talking thousands, we're talking millions and millions. So because there's a lack of visibility, people are hesitant to invest in it. So like you said, it's a token investment. It's like, well, we'll put, you know, one person on the case and that could be our channel marketer who will help our partners, you know, market and sell and drive demand. Well, one person isn't going to cut it in, in, in a lot of companies. In fact, I was just, we were talking before the show about a, a prospect I was talking to last week. It's a $2.2 billion company with 35,000 employees. 40% of their revenue comes through the channel and they have one marketing resource. I mean, it's, it's astonishing. It's, it's a huge missed opportunity. 
And it, you think about it, like how can that person possibly be effective with that kind of an opportunity? And you, you used the term random acts of marketing before where there may be an occasional newsletter or you may you know maybe opportunistic. Oh, there's a conference coming up. Maybe we should do something. Uh, but but I think to really take advantage of this and and you I mean you've spent years building tools and software that is helping companies better leverage and better organize channel marketing opportunities and definitely encourage folks to check that out at averatech.com and we'll have links in the uh, the notes for this recording and the podcast uh, ensuing as well but talk a little bit about what that includes i mean you know before we get into the channel engagement framework we talked about the systems that have to be connected we talked about sort of right. just the integrations that you know, really aren't rocket science, but have to be in place to really fully leverage the opportunity inherent in channels. Well, so go back to the model or the, the example we just used, Janet, who runs the, the channel for this $2.2 billion ERP company. She does these random acts of marketing. What she is essentially doing, she's busier than a one-armed paper hanger. I mean, she is, every day she's getting a request from a partner saying, hey, can you help me with this? I need this logo. I need this piece of collateral. Do you have a presentation? And so she's running around and everything that she does is essentially a one-off and it's completely random. It's not strategic at all. We see our job as doing is, is helping her create scale in her job. She can't possibly touch all of the partners they have. She can't possibly respond to all their requests. She needs a platform and she needs an infrastructure to help them do the marketing on their own. She wants, you know, what we want to do is help her uh, put content in there and then allow the channel partners to come in, find that content, co-brand that content, launch that content to an audience, whether it's a social audience or, you know, an email list or, or something like that, um, that drives interest and demand for their products. But letting the, get, you know, giving the partners a way to do that in a frictionless way makes it super easy for them means that ultimately Janet is driving more leads for her company through the channel because partners have a way to do it on their own now. Do you have any stats or is there any, any indication even just from the experience you have that shows that just the leverage and efficiency of channel versus direct? And I think the pros and cons I often hear from companies is when I go direct, I have control of my sales process. I have, I have better visibility into what I'm doing. Um, I, there's a little, people feel like they have more velocity and more, uh, you know, can get to deals faster. Channels can take a while to get up and rolling. You don't always have visibility, but help me understand like, you know, what really is like, what's the cost of the problem that people don't know that they have here? Well, you know, you're putting me on the spot to throw statistics out, and I want to be very careful about that. But I suppose you can look at it more anecdotally and say, if I don't have to carry, if I don't have to carry the cost of the sales head, and I don't have to carry the cost of actually doing the prospecting and acquiring the customer, because another company is going to take that on. If I can get a lot of those companies to do that for me, to be out there in the market talking about my products and services, then I can scale much more rapidly than I can. I can scale much more rapidly than I can and build my brand much more rapidly than I can if I'm trying to do it all on my own. Now, there are some rare customer companies, I should say, that have done that. You know, I can think of like Bose, for example, traditionally direct seller. Apple had a channel for a while, but it's traditionally a direct seller. These are companies that have done that and have, have done very, very well controlling the velocity all on their own. But most companies don't do it that way. Most companies ultimately try to find a way to get distribution through other companies, through partnerships. Because you want to scale fast, you have to have a lot of friends talking about your stuff. You know, otherwise you're taking responsibility for all the messaging. And so I think the trade-off, like you said, you're trading velocity and you're trading control for brand awareness 
and product awareness in the market. I mean, I think that's the, that's the value. In terms of the quantifying the size of the missed opportunity, gosh, I mean, that I think there are so many things that go into figuring that out. But, you know, we have on our website a, a free resource, an ROI calculator that lets you in, in a, you know, a few quick minutes plug in the number of partners you have, the average deal size, their closing percentage, you know, lead to MGO, that kind of thing, that'll essentially tell you, you know, what the ROI on your channel investment is should you decide to go that direction. Um, and the numbers can be absolutely staggering depending upon how effective your partners are at closing deals. Okay, did we lose Matt there? Is he still around? I'm still here, and I, I, I hear Matt kind of cutting in and out a little bit. I think that's the problem here. I think he's uh, coming and going here. Let's see if we can call him again. Let's let's cut to a commercial right now and see if we can. We'll take the time to see if we can get him back on. Hang on right now. See if we can get Matt back on the line. Marketers acknowledge that account-based marketing is important, but what does that really mean? ABM requires a deep understanding of your target accounts and the people within its internal buying committee. Where do you even start? Sign up now for the Modern Marketers Workshop, ABM, From Strategy to Action and Results, a fully online workshop, April 18th to the 20th, 11 a.m. to 12.30 Pacific, each day. Visit www.heinzmarketing.com workshops. That's H-E-I-N-Z marketing.com and register today. Do you want a free analysis of your inbound marketing? Do you want it in 30 seconds or less? Then check out Marketing Grader, the free marketing tool from HubSpot. It's simple. Just go to marketinggrader.com, enter the URL that you want to analyze, and Marketing Grader will instantly give you a detailed report grading your lead generation, mobile marketing, social media, competitive benchmarking, and more. It's simple, it's powerful, and it's free. MarketingGrader.com. Well, we've tried everything we can to get Matt back on the line. He was connecting via Skype, and somehow the Skype connection just won't uh, stay up here. So I think we'll just kind of uh, go to our wrap-up phase. We only had about five minutes left. I'll, I'll ask the guest, uh, if Peter, if he had anything else he wants to add about where all this is headed or, or what the future holds or any other thoughts uh, before we uh, end the show here. Thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciated the opportunity. I think in terms of where it's headed, we're starting to see a convergence between inbound marketing and the channel marketing. I think traditionally inbound marketing has been an effort that is led by the direct marketing teams, direct marketing and, and sales teams uh, within companies. And now what we're seeing is many suppliers saying to themselves, well, this is working so well with our direct stuff how can we get our channel partners thinking about modern marketing practices as well? And so we feel honored to be a part of that, you know, helping channel partners build healthy sort of modern marketing practices. Maybe they don't even know that they're doing inbound marketing, but they are doing it. I think that's where you're going to see evolution of the channel, where it's going to go over the next couple of years. Are we ever going to end up where it's all inbound marketing? There's always been this debate about, is outbound marketing dead? Is cold calling dead? Trying to reach people when they don't want to be reached, uh, just not feasible yeah. anymore here. Well, I think our perspective on this is that good inbound marketing leads to smarter outbound. So the idea is if you see a prospect come in and you see that they've exhibited some behavior, they've looked at your blog, and then they've gone on to look at your 
your website and then they looked at your team bios and then maybe they checked out your pricing page they're signaling intent they're signaling that you know they're in, they're definitely in a in a shopping mode not a learning mode mm-hmm. let's say and so what you can do is then match your outbound messaging to align to where they are in in the funnel so i think that rather than now, rather than sending uh, an email to all 10,000 people in my database i'm just going to send this mid-stage piece of content to somebody who has exhibited mid-stage or mid-funnel behaviors. So I think it, it's not dead. I think that we can improve it by evaluating the signals that our inbound marketing methodologies derive from a prospect's behavior. I couldn't agree more. We hear it all the time on Matt's show and all the other shows we produce here that it, it isn't one or. It seems to be an add-on. It's something extra. And, and yet, how do you uh, – my last question for you is, how do you get organizations to be patient? Everybody wants to cut to the chase. They want to make the sale right today. The minute I go on the website, somebody calls me and wants to close me or qualify me and put me into a, a sales pipeline and a yeah. funnel with follow-up emails here. We don't seem to want to let people just sniff around and think about it. Well, how do you get them to be patient? That's a good question because the, the forcing function is always a KPI. Right. A salesman has a number to hit, and, and so whatever he or she has to do to get there is what they're going to do. So that's why they oftentimes try to hijack the process. But in a perfect world, we would all have the empathy for each other and understand that uh, we want to buy on our own terms. So you have to start with the the philosophy that those that teach earn the right to sell. Hmm. And so if you can put enough teaching, you know, create enough teaching moments from your website, your blog, this podcast, other, other opportunities like this, then you're going to earn the right at the point where the buyer is ready on their own time frame. They're going to be thinking of you because they're going to trust you because they're going to think, yeah, those were the folks that, that gave me that great advice about, you know, inbound marketing or whatever it was you were right. trying to right. teach them about. And so I think that how you get them to be patient is by saying, change your orientation to creating teaching moments, not selling moments so much. Now, I know that that doesn't play well with public companies. I know that yeah, doesn't play well right. with sales teams. Right. I know all the friction points in saying that. And yet the reality is this is a buyer's economy that the salesman now is not as relevant from a, an information standpoint as they were 20 years ago. And, and so I think to another point that I, I heard on one of our shows is, you know, salespeople are continually trying to figure out how do I not get cut off? How do I get some quality time to explain what I'm doing? If you start Give with content of value, yeah, right. If, don't be the interruption in their day, be what they're looking for. Right. And I, I have another rule that, that I try to follow, too, which is if you want to be a hero to somebody, be a hero to the people that they love or that they are responsible for supporting. Hmm. So, for example, if I want to make you a fan of me, I'm going to send your wife something really nice hmm. because, you know, she's Clever, the one yeah, that yeah. you right you know that's the idea so then how do we translate that into a b2b context what we do is we understand that you know in my business the people that run the channel marketing organization their customers are partners so if i can give them something that they can turn around and give to their partners that's of value then they will look like a hero to their partners and they will think of me as the person that helped them look like well matt's going to come in and be a hero we brought him amazingly back on the line at the last second to do the final takeaway, the final thought here. We've done the heavy lifting for him here and continued the conversation. Now Matt gets to come in and steal the thunder and close the deal. No, I want Pete to be the hero 
of this entire presentation. Actually, I think maybe, Paul, you're the hero. We literally, the internet apparently in our entire building went down oh, at wow. once. So blaming the man today. All right. Well, well, I appreciate you guys finishing. I know, Peter, the best part was probably when I was gone. But, um, <laughs> hopefully you guys talk a little about the channel engagement framework, which, you know, before the break was really excited. Just to finish up, let people know how to get a hold of you, how to learn more about Ameritech, and then how to get a copy of the channel engagement framework. I'm on LinkedIn, Peter A. Thomas. We're at Averitech, so it's Peter at Averitech.com. You can find me on Twitter at Thomas Peter A. The Channel Engagement Framework, Matt, that's on our website, as are a number of other free resources. Again, we try to give it away as much as we possibly can, and we think that's what it's all about. Because he says that once you're a teacher, then you have earned the right to sell. That's what he said when you were gone here. I agree with that. I just want to give the name of the website here just uh, so we get that in. I can spell it for us. Averitech, A-V-E-R-E-T-E-K.com, Averitech. All right, back to Matt. Awesome. Thank you, Peter, so much for one of perhaps the weirdest pipeline radios we've done in a while. Thanks for sticking with us. Thanks, Paul, for, for filling in. But thank you, everyone, for listening. We will have a replay of this episode on PipelineRadio.com. Sign up for the podcast at iTunes Store and Google Play. We'll be back at 2.30 Eastern, 11.30 Pacific with Grant Cardone. He is a sales speaker, superstar, the author of the new book, 10X. Very excited to have Grant on the show and have a lot of great episodes and guests planned for the coming spring. This is Matt Hines from Hines Marketing. On behalf of our great producer, Paul, thank you very much for joining us. We'll see you next week on Sales Pipeline Radio. All right, the joys of live radios. We uh, salvaged the interview and uh, encourage you to come back and hear more each and every week right here on Sales Pipeline Radio.